This is Sound and Vision from KEXP. Can't Stop, Won't Stop was a book that chronicled the early hip-hop scene. It was first released in 2005 by Jeff Chang. It has now been re-released with updates and a focus on a young adult audience, with writing contributions by Davey D. Cook. He's a syndicated radio DJ and an adjunct professor who teaches hip-hop, among other things, at San Francisco State University. KEXP's Gabriel Teodros caught up with Davey D. and Jeff Chang to talk about the new edition and the power of hip-hop. Here is the unedited version of their conversation. It's KXP, Sound and Vision. I'm very honored, very excited to be sitting here on Zoom with two of my favorite historians of hip-hop culture. I've got Davey D and Jeff Chang with me to talk about the new book, Can't Stop, Won't Stop, the Young Adult Edition. How are y'all doing? We're good, man. How are you doing, brother? It's good to see you. Yeah, you man. Know. Um... You know, um, excited that we have this book, you know, after two years of, you know, donating my life to the cause, you know, lots of coffee shops, uh-huh. um, didn't go on vacation with the wife. Um, oh, now he's trying to put it on me. See, <laughs> you know, I didn't want to do it, you know, to be honest, but I mean, <laughs> Jeff said, man, hey, man, we need you, you know, and so I said. I did say that. That's true. That is true. Let's bring it back to the the original version of Can't Stop, Won't Stop, uh, a landmark book on the history of hip hop culture. Uh, one of the best written at the time, in my opinion, came out in 2005. Jeff Chang penned it. What does what does doing a new updated version of this book and what does a young adult edition even mean? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, first of all, uh, yeah, man, it's it's so great to be here in place and space with you. Well, maybe not in place, but virtual place and certainly in the same space with you, man. Um, just big ups. Been loving your you and your work and just everything about you, man, for many many years. So super happy that we were able to do this, but. Uh, yeah, no, the, the book came out in 2005, and, you know, at that time, Dave had a book as well, um, and, you know, it, it would have been an amazing thing for us to both kind of be doing the thing at that time with our books. Um, so when my editor came back, um, uh, I'd say probably about three or four years ago, and said, hey, look, you know, here's there's going to be like an anniversary of this book. Um, and not only that, I think it's really important and, uh, and timely that you do something like this for, um, a new generation. And, um, and I was floored by the idea. And the first thing, the first person I reached out to, like, to tell about it was, was Dave and was just like, you know, please, Davey, please, Davey, please, please, please. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. just, you know, she's got to have it type begging, like to Dave to to like, you know, jump in and stuff. And finally he relented and, and said yes. And that was just the best thing that could have ever happened because, you know, Dave has been there from the very start. He's been there through it all. Um he's he's been to me the hip hop chronicler, the hip hop historian, the hip hop journalist. And so to kind of be able to join forces, you know, with him, man, it was just like you know, I was like, I, feel, I was feeling like Flav finding my Chuck. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was dope. It was super dope. That's amazing. What does, 
I guess, what does a young adult edition even mean for people that are not in the publishing world? Like what makes it different aside from the updates? Well, I think, you know, the publishing world will probably have a definition, but I think for the purpose of listeners that, you know, they may think, oh, this is just going to be some sort of diluted version. Give me the original straight, no chaser type of book. Um, this is not a dumbed down version of the first book. If we're talking about young adult, it may be more along the lines that some of the things that we reference will be more in line with a younger audience that would go, oh, I know who Meg the Stallion is, whereas I have people that might be 40 and over go, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> um, yeah. it, you know, throughout the first book, there would have been more of a reference to Fat Five Freddy, you know, and Charlie Ahern and Grand Wizard Theodore. And if I walk into my classroom today and say those names, I would have a bunch of 20-year-olds go, who the hell are those guys, right? <laughs> right. And so you're talking about a culture that's 50 years old, damn near. Mm -hmm. And in terms of a young adult, you're trying to keep in mind some of their sensitivities. You're also keeping in mind of writing a book that they can grow into. So my kids could, you know, read this maybe two or three years from now and be like, oh, okay, this is totally relatable. The honest to God truth and this is hard for many people to stomach, is that the 90s, which for the generation after myself and Jeff, that's 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And you can come to my class and start naming off a bunch of things from the 90s, and you're going to have people looking at you. I talked about the East-West Coast War because our class is on a Tuesday, and it happened to fall, you know, Tuesday the 9th, uh, the day that Biggie was killed. You know, I had class. So I said, let's make this into a Biggie lesson. So, And I'm talking like, you know, this is Notorious B.I.G. He passed away during the East-West Coast, you know, war. Huh? Yeah. Sad. You know, it's like, well, there was like a, you know, beef between him. Oh, yeah, my daddy told me that, you know, that that guy Tupac. He's from Oakland, right? <laughs> so you don't want to laugh. I mean, it's funny, but it isn't. Yeah. You know, because you're like, damn. So I had to like do a whole lesson on that and, you know, give the context to it because anything they knew about it was going to be more sensationalized. You know, I heard that, you know, like him and Suge didn't get along, you know, and it's like, no, 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 no. There was a whole history about, you know, how music was, you know, available on one part of the country and not on the other. And, you know, so just all these things. But the bottom line is a 20-year-old is not necessarily, not only they're not really knowing the death of two of the most iconic figures, Tupac and Biggie, a lot of them don't even care. And I mean, not in a bad way. It's like, okay, that's cool, but I don't, I don't get it. You know, so now you go back a little further and say Rakim and they don't know what you're talking about, right? And so here in the book, you know, of course we mention all these people and we give the backstory, but mm -hmm. we're also mindful that, you know, they'd be like, why should I read this? Oh, okay, here's some of these other things that are, that are important, including the updates that Jeff talked about, talking about the pandemic, talking about Black Lives Matter, you know, bringing into the forefront 
the contributions of women, all that is, you know, very, very important. And so that's how that is. Yeah, I have the I have the book sitting right next to me. Thank you, Davey, for sending it my way. Um, and I was so surprised to see how up to date you brought it. You know, you just like you said, you mentioned the pandemic. You talk about uh, the uprising in Minneapolis this last summer. You talk about Ferguson. You talk about Tef Poe, which I was so excited about. Um, with a you know a story and a history as vast as you know fifty years plus of hip hop culture, how do you choose what to focus on on a book this thin? <laughs> Well, the easy, the, the, the short of it is I hand in 250 pages for the five that Jeff asked for. <laughs> let him let him figure it out. I mean, it literally became like, you know, like, OK, you have these sections to go through. So, you know, what are you going to cover? Oh, OK, I'm going to cover this section. And, you know, you're writing everything. So, you know, we had a whole chapter on uh, you, Gabe, you know, and your rap career <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. And I gave it into Jeff. I don't know if it made the cut, you know, but if he, it didn't. He did He's blaming it again, man. <laughs> Jeff, hate, Jeff hated on a cat. <laughs> no, no. What he said was, what he said was, he said, this is exactly what he said. Dave, we can put this chapter about Gabe in Seattle, or we could, you know, but we're going to have to pull out the part about Rakim ah. and Public Enemy. Ah. Which, what do you want to do? Yeah. Gabe, I would, I, would, I would never do that. I would never do that to you. I, I would never. But yeah, no, that, that's the next book, actually, that, that we're, we're putting together. No, I mean. To, to <laughs> it's all about me. Other, yeah, sure. Uh, it's all about you. Uh, no, it's. It's. Um, it was hard, you know. We 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 uh, we had to kind of at the end of the day sort of say, you know, what are the main stories that we feel like we can provide a perspective on and talk about, and uh, that we want to make sure people have. Like, if there's only one book that our you know our kids, our nieces and nephews, our grandkids are ever going to read about hip hop, like, what would we want to be in there? Um, type of thing and um and so you know at the end of the day we do have to 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 make decisions because you know we can't turn in a 700 page where you know this isn't this isn't whatever lord of the rings or that kind of thing where we're allowed that kind of a space to do that um but hopefully we'll tease people enough young people enough to be able to want to know all these kinds of stuff i mean like dave said though it's it's about like Having young folks, you know, read about so sort of like Megan the Stallion, and then go mm-hmm. and, and be like, oh wow, like who's Roxanne Shante? Oh wow, who's Shah Rock? You know, and like, mm-hmm. oh wow, like there's this whole history that we didn't even know about, um, and you know, and 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 be sprung off of that. That's that's sort of what we're hoping to do. Yeah, you know, to to Jeff's credit, um, I have been getting feedback from younger, quote unquote, younger adults, you know, people who are actually working, who are like 25 and 26 and who have read the book or read part of it. And, you know, things that I think we might take for granted, they didn't know. I just talked to a sister yesterday. She's like, I had no idea about the gangs in the beginning. And this is fascinating stuff. And so for those of us who may be a little older and have been immersed in some of this, it's easy to kind of move away from the reality that many people don't know this. 
you know, they just don't. And so there's nothing wrong with retelling the story, giving it an updated contextualization. Um, in the 90s, we would have said, oh, the South Bronx, man, you know, it blew up, but the conditions were very similar to how it was in 92 uh, when the Rodney King uprising took place. That would make sense when Jeff wrote the book in 2004. In 2021, we might have to say, oh, the South Bronx was kind of the same conditions as you saw in Ferguson. That might make more sense to somebody today. That's what makes it a young adult edition. Mm-hmm. Whereas, say, I know Ferguson, and we wouldn't just go into a whole story about, you know, 92. I mean, it's in there, but we wouldn't make that necessarily the reference point. Um, we, we, we might reference a Drake or a Little Wayne more than we reference, say, you know, Coogee rap and polo, you know, yeah. no shade on him, but you know, Drake is, is a name that, you know, our audience that we want to reach would know. And we would want them to understand, you know, the political and social analysis of an artist like him so that you can apply it as you look backwards in other arenas. So that that's kind of, I think that's kind of one of the things that we were doing as well. I got to give you guys so much credit because I've read I've read multiple stories and, you know, newer history books coming out about hip hop that honestly sometimes feel like I'm reading a Wikipedia article, you know, and reading your book. It's like and and I haven't read it from cover to cover. Admittedly, you know, I didn't have all the time I'm take your time man. all the time that I wanted <laughs> but you know I, I've, I've um, I'm reading it in bites and sections and it's incredibly engaging you know it's 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 a page turner it's uh, like I don't it's it's very alive is what I, is what I'm trying to say mm-hmm. and um appreciate that and I know that a lot of it is based on personal interviews can can you guys talk a little bit about that process, like what the research was like for, for writing this book and I guess how you keep it engaging is as well as you did, you know? Uh, I mean, you know, the, the research part was done over the course of, you know, a pretty long period. I mean, actually, you know what, let me put it this way. Actually, a lot of folks have told me that the first book that, that anyone does um, is in some way autobiographical, right? And it's kind of the thing that you've been, preparing for to you know to to kind of do your entire life so you know the 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 work that kind of went into the the first edition was all of these you know questions and people and heroes and heroines who you know i would always wanted to to kind of know about and had eventually you know over the course of time been able to talk to all of these different types of folks and um and so that kind of went into it. That's sort of, that's part of what hopefully you're getting, right? You know, is sort of the the passion that that Dave and I bring to to this. And and Dave is like, Dave lived it. So you know, Dave, Dave, you know, in this edition, it was super joyful to me because it was like, it was a way to to kind of like, for me, I'm always going to be the kid who came from Honolulu, Hawaii, you know, to to New York City, met some people, did some interviews. Dave lived it. Dave was born in it. And so to have that kind of texture and that like, you know, air to it, like, man, like it really makes the pages for me come alive in the in the entirety of the book mm-hmm. um, from the very beginning in the Bronx all the way up to 
to to you know uh, last year. Mm-hmm. The there's a thing about having the lived experience. It asks. Um, it it adds to you know the research that we did in putting the book out. Um, but you know also. I had to go back and really make sure <laughs> that some of the stories that that I knew actually happened. Now I was lucky that I had a lot of things in journals from way back, you know, that I kept. Um, but as you get older, you know, some of those things you forget. You go, were we at the concert in Seattle or was it Portland? You know, little things like that. Um, you know, did that really happen at that time? Did he really run into, you know, did he really rap on the mic and, and then break dance? So you had to kind of go back. And and that becomes kind of tricky because when you go to some of the primary sources, they don't always remember. And sometimes they'll start to re-embellish things. So you, it, it becomes a, 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 a challenge in itself. So luckily for, I think both of us, but definitely with me, I have interviews from way back, you know, like I have a Cool Herc interview from 88, 87. Amazing. You know, I have a Chuck D interview from 88, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that they would embellish, but sometimes they may forget or they may leave out something that, you know, that that is extremely important, but they don't think it's in, in, important anymore, but it's important for the book. So, you know, um, maybe hearing, for example, when Chuck said, um, CNN is, you know, rap is black people, CNN, you know, trying to remember exactly when he said it. I was there when he said it. It was at the new music seminar. Right. But then as you go back, it's like, oh, that was the same new music seminar that Queen Latifah stood up and her name wasn't Queen Latifah, but it was Latifah. And she started smashing on radio executives because they weren't playing hip hop. But that was also the same uh, seminar that Dante Ross got into it with Luke Skywalker, right? Because he felt that, you know, that that Miami bass wasn't real hip hop, right? And so there's like an array of all these other stories that come out. And, you know, and so you're looking at not just that one, but also the other ones. And then you got to kind of backtrack and see, you know, what happened and what wasn't. So for example, like the story with Dante Ross, he's like, oh man, me and Luke made up. That was a long time ago. I was young and dumb, you know, and shouldn't have did that. But, you know, for me, it might be like, yeah, but that's an important story. So then it's even balancing. Do we really need to retell that story? You know, and if so, then you have to put the additional context. Like, hey, he realized it was wrong. They're friends. They made up, you know, and he has a different life point of view. So it's a real balance on how you tell those stories, um, especially in a, in a world where miscommunication has, you know, serves the benefit of people who like to see folks disunited versus united. So you don't, you don't want to be that person that comes up and reignites something that has since been, you know, resolved, you know, if I could use that as an example. Mm -hmm. So you have to take some care in telling the story as well. Give it, give it the updated context as well as the, you know, personal like what did i see at that particular time and how did it feel that's that i think is an art that's a balance and i think jeff who does like the final editing of everything i think he captures a lot of that yeah man one of one of the um uh hardest revelations i would say that came to light since the publishing of the first can't stop won't stop 
um, that was heavy on my mind, even in reading an updated version, was um, the allegations around Africa Bambata. Um, for those that don't know, uh, you know, Bambata is known as the godfather of hip hop. There's, you know, a chapter early on in the book, and he's mentioned throughout, you know, the story of hip hop. Um, and the allegations are that, you know, from dozens of of of, of young men, um, they were sexually abusing them. Um, how do how do you wrestle with something like that with one of you know some someone that people call like the godfather of hip hop? Like, yeah, how did how did y'all wrestle with that in this book? I mean, you know, the book is uh, a book is always going to be a product of the time and what you know at the time, right? right. And um, and sort of the currents that are happening as well. Um, you know, between the writing of this particular book, you know, in the early 2000s and now so much has changed in hip hop. We know so much more um, about history and about individual um, people in hip hop. And, you know, we it was difficult. We had there was a little bit of a balancing act, you know, like recognizing that that um, there's been a reckoning that's finally happened within hip hop because of Tirana you know, Tarana Burke, um, a hip hop head, right. Who loves the culture, like is through and through, like, will tell you she's a hip hop head, you know? And at the same time, she is, has, you know, launched this revolution, um, that has basically forced us to reconsider history. Um, we, you know, we sort of, we were delicate. We kind of tread lightly around all those kinds of things. And we said to ourselves in each case, well, you know, does what we know now, does that change what the what they did? And the answer was always uh, yes and no. You know, Africa Bambada um, is the reason we have Zulu Nation, the first hip hop institution. Um, he was central to the gang peace treaty. Um, he also had a lot of other things that was going on um, with him. And, you know, the truth is still, I think, coming out around that. Um, and, you know, same with, you know, I worked for, for Russell Simmons and, you know, um, you know, did Russell like bring, you know, run DMC from like the street, you know, to the suburbs? Yes, he did. You know, did he form Def Jam? Yes, he did. You know, uh, and again, you know, in this particular instance, you know, a lot of things have come out. Um, and so, you know, we have to balance all of that type of stuff. But, you know, you have to our, our, I think our approach ultimately is you take you have to take the good and you have to take the bad and you have to let it all out lie out there. And um, the main thing that we have the the responsibility to do is is to um, lift up the truth and lift up the stories that aren't told. Um, so, you know, we think that we tried to, that's what we tried to do um, delicately in this new edition. And, and you also have to remember, there's still a lot of people don't who know who Bambada is or even Russell. And one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to have their transgressions become the main story in hip hop because that's unfair for the thousands of millions of people that have, you know, done right by hip hop and really uplifted it. And so, you know, our approach is like, you know, BAM meant something to this culture for more than 40 years, right? 
Um, Mm -hmm. There's no denying that. Just like James Brown meant something to soul and funk. And you can put an asterisk next to his name and said he did drugs and he, you know, and he abused women. But at the same time, and when you're telling a story that is along that line, you can bring that up. But at the same time, you can't deny his contributions, (laughs) you know, to 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 a genre that we all enjoy. Same thing with Michael Jackson, same thing with a lot of other people. Then you get into the slippery slope of what you actually say as a definitive word. Right. You know, um, Bann's been accused but not convicted. Russell's been accused but not convicted. And, you know, sure, in 2021, you know, those things, you know, being accused can, you know, that means, well, maybe I'm not going to mess with them no more. But you can't just go and print and be like, you know, Bann is guilty, you know, because now now you're dealing with a legal thing. So 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 at the end of the day, it is that balance. And. And also capturing the moment of what he met in 1978, mm-hmm. what he met in 1980, and his contribution. So we let people know about those accusations, mm-hmm. and we tell the truth. We're not fawning over him. We're not putting him on an extra pedestal. And I think the conversations around allegations are one that you know that people will have to have above and beyond the book. Right. You know, and, and, and it deserves a much deeper analysis and process than I think we could fully address in a book where we're talking about so much, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's that's just the way it is. And I think as we get older and as we move on, there's going to be a lot of things in history that we're going to look at. I mean, now, you know, we talk about the slave owners who were the founding fathers, mm-hmm. you know. And sure, we can talk about that, and that's an important conversation. But they also wrote the Bill of Rights and and all these other things. And you just don't say, well, I'm just going to act like they didn't do that because they did. So um, it's going to be that balance with history always. Yeah. And I and I appreciated the, that you um, that you did mention it and that you included the, you know, the piece about Toronto Burke and the Me Too movement. And yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think I was I was happy to see that. And thank you for answering that question. Um, man, Jeff, I remember we were uh, we were at one of many events that we've been been at together through the years. I don't <laughs> uh-huh. even, I don't even remember where it was. And you said a quote um, that I always think about. You said, uh, hip hop transforms every culture it touches and gets transformed by every culture that touches it. Um, Can you say more about that? And, you know, in writing this book and even in your experiences for both of y'all, like what are some of the most surprising ways you've seen hip hop transform culture globally? Yeah, and that's just some sort of, you know, Shout out <laughs> Walida, shout out Adrian, like just some old, you know, Octavia Butler type thing, right? Um, but it's true. It's really, really true. I think that, you know, um, again, sort of, you know, invoking Walida and Adrian, right? Like this is how um, Black freedom culture moves people and um, and that it moves from a place of opening up uh, spaces for, for people to be able to kind of uh, be in dialogue, and that's the beauty and the power and the 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 strength. The 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 greatest story ever told is the story of Black freedom culture. Um, so you know, for for I think this particular kind of piece, you know, one of the things that we did was to to talk about 
the spread of hip hop, you know, first from um, black communities in the Bronx, um, black, uh, black red broadly, you know, African-American, Afro-Caribbean, Afro-Latinx, um, all kinds of forms of blackness coming together in 1973, you know, in the Bronx. Um, and how that spreads to other black neighborhoods across the country. And also recognizing that every every neighborhood had its own thing. Like we talk about Philly and the dance that they had there, which was not at all like b-boying, um, right? Uh, Stepping was much, much different. It was closer to to maybe like tap dance or that kind of thing than it was to, to b-boying, um, to up rock and uh, all those kinds of things and footwork and all that. So... Um, you know, just recognizing all these different types of things kind of come together and then they uh, are are heard and, and absorbed by marginalized folks all around the world. So, you know, beginning with the Bronx and like kind of moving all the way on up to talking about like how people are hearing it in South Africa, how people are hearing it in Senegal, you know, how people are hearing hip hop in South Korea, you know what I mean? How they're hearing it in China how they're hearing it in Eastern Europe, right? Um, that's part of the story. Um, and thinking about uh, how hip hop sort of um, lifts up all of these types of movements there. Like we talk about Brazil, f for instance, too. Um, you know, and for instance, Chuck D's influence, he goes to Brazil and then suddenly there's this flowering of black nationalism among young people and this you know, beautiful kind of uh, cultural output that comes from it. So that's all part of it. And it's it's something that we wanted to make sure that we we kind of captured and talked about um, as as a way of talking about what goes from the source to, you know, to the to the uh, to the ocean. And, and that's a balancing act in itself, mm -hmm. because one thing as we look through history, we didn't have the benefit of access to a lot of information um, around the world. And so a New York-centric narrative emerges. And in that New York-centric narrative and how we look at history, it becomes a linear thing. It starts in the Bronx and then it goes to Washington and from Washington it goes here and there and blah, 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 right? Um, that's the nice way to look at things but as you get older, you go, wait a second, there was a dance scene that even predates hip hop as we know it in New York and Oakland. Yeah. And the dance that you're doing is acknowledging that there were people that had similar types of oppression that they were dealing with. And they had their own cultural um, way in which they navigated that. There was a dance scene. There was a funk scene. In D.C., there was a go-go scene. In Philly, there was a, you know, a stepping scene. So there were all these places where people had their own agency. And breaking the tradition of saying hip-hop just came and transformed everything, in some places it did, but in, in a lot of places, it's like, I like this part of what this expression from New York is doing. Let me add it to what I'm already doing. And that became a hybrid in the sense, or it became something that was totally um, transformative. And it, it echoes back and becomes part of hip hop. So for example, you know, the kid in the Bronx is watching Soul Train and he's seeing that they're doing all these robotic strutting boogaloo moves. 
picks that up, adds it to their repertoire, and then it becomes part of hip hop. Right. But the people that they saw on Soul Train who were from L.A. or if they came out to California, went up to the Bay, they didn't know the word called hip hop. That had nothing to do with what we know as hip hop. But they were doing something that people could immediately relate to, at least in a dance tip. And so you have a constant call and response with a, is a very African thing in itself. Mm-hmm. It's more than just a vocalization, but it's a cultural thing. If, uh, if I can shout out my man, uh, Quadro Dwayne Dutterville, who often talks about that. So I think, you know, just recognizing that what was consistent in all these different places and all these marginalized community was folks having to deal with very intentional in very um, oppressive conditions that were being levied on folks and recognizing how people dealt with it. And, you know, the biggest voice that comes out of it is hip hop, but there were a lot of other things that hip hop emerged with. And so hip hop was doing a consistent dance. I like to say hip hop is open source code, you know, (laughs) that, you know, you can take your thing and add it to this platform mm-hmm. and you can really see yourself in it. And, you know, from your background, uh, Ga- you know, uh, Gabrielle, that I was told, well, I'm call you Gabrielle. It's all good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, you can go in and, and see that in different mm-hmm. places. The hip hop in the Bronx it may be very different than the hip hop in somewhere in somewhere else. It, but it's still the same type of, you know, yearning to make a way out of no way. It's a yearning to change your immediate condition. It's your way of healing. And ultimately, you know, a lot of times your way of reaffirming things that uh, 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 a world that wants to strip you of that identity, um, it, it, it allows you to, to, to reconnect. Man, so beautifully said, Davey. I love that. Um it reminds me of a quote in here where you talked about hip hop not being a vacuum, you know, which is so real um, and not belonging to any one person. Um, I have another another memory of uh, being in a room with with you, Davey. Uh, this is uh, one of those times I sat in at your class at SF State University and there was a, a really cool conversation that happened that day. I believe you were asking your students what hip hop meant to them. And you said that. uh at the end of it, you said hip hop, if, if I'm quoting you correctly, you said something along the lines of hip hop is about building community. If it's about anything else, I don't know what it is. And that's something that you said that always stuck with me. Um, I wanted to ask you guys something about building solidarity across uh, cultures, uh, even even just as the two of y'all, as you know, a, a black person and an Asian person writing this book in this time where you know, there's always been anti-black hate crimes happening in this country, and now there's a, a spike in anti-Asian hate crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, what can hip hop teach people about building solidarity, like real, true solidarity across communities? Mm-hmm. You know what? This is the biggest question, man. And it's and you know, it, of course, it would be to ask us this because you've been so deeply involved in community and and communities um, and, and recognizing, you know, sort of the bridges that, that folks need to be built. Like, you know, the, the thing about this particular um, book and this history and, and why, like, we're both so passionate about it is, you know, this is 
the hidden history of America. Hip hop has that sort of hidden transcript, you know, is what some folks call it of, of what really went on, you know, what didn't end up on the front page. Um, but the kind of undercurrents that like actually shaped, you know, the sort of tremors and quakes that like really shaped the kind of landscape that we're on living on today. Um, and, you know, we talk, uh, I think, you know, pretty truthfully did in the first book and do it again here about, you know, the uprisings in Los Angeles and, you know, and the, the whole kind of way in which hip hop reflected all of the different types of things that were going on at that particular point and the media narratives that we had to combat um, about that were trying to divide us um, and the kind of histories um, that were not being talked about in that particular moment, you know, and it still does. I think, you know, at this particular point, I've been taking a lot of comfort and a lot of um, sort of humility from, you know, people showing up for me as somebody who's of Chinese and native Hawaiian descent. Dave's always been that person for me. Um, and part of what we, I think, represent out there is, are these, you know, sort of deep friendships and currents of, you know, of, of, of relations that, you know, that folks have had uh, everywhere, everywhere that there's um, blacks and Asians, you know, living together, right? So despite the fact that you'll get this video that'll be popping up on, on your feed right now, um, you know, that, that's like not the truth. The truth is the deep ways in which we have interacted and influenced each other. And really, truthfully, for Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, like recognizing how the black freedom struggle has made the door, like has made the door open to us, right? The, 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 the birthright citizenship wouldn't have been a thing without, you know, um, the 14th Amendment. And, and our immigration after 1965 would not have been possible without the rise of the civil rights movement and black power. Um, so, you know, that's something that I try to reaffirm. And in our dialogues that Dave and I have all the time, like right now, it's just sort of about making, making that like accessible and transparent to, to people. Um, and it's always easy to tear down, but we're, we're so about building things up. So thank you for asking that question. I know I got, Dave has a lot to say too. You know, let's go back to the point I said about building community. Mm -hmm. So you have to look at what these expressions, these dance expressions, this music expressions, these oral traditions, what this really means. In Western society, in the United States, they're commodified. So if you, Gab, you know, Gabriel, decide that, you know, you suffered uh, untimely death, you may, because of your background, decide that you're going to wail, right? Let me go and just wail. Mm -hmm. I come along in the capitalistic society and record that and then make that into something that we can buy and sell. And we come along and go, wow, Gabe, this is really great the way that you're wailing. Can you do this some more? Mm. Well, wait a second. You were crying because something tragic happened. This was your way of coping. And our response to it should be, let's build community around you, uplift you, and help you get out of this point of pain, right? But, but, but for many people, 
I like to see this. You know, this is entertaining. Jeff, come along. Gabe is crying. Let's watch this. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so what gets lost or what we're challenged with are black expression, indigenous expression, people who intuitively can see themselves because they have similar types of expressions and understand that singing and dancing is, a, is not a commodity, but a way in which community comes together and does so much more. They communicate, they, 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 they use it as a way to worship all these different things. Right. That's why it becomes popular because people go, Oh, we do something similar where I'm from. Right. Mm -hmm. So the community that we bring when we start to do these expressions, you know, we call them ciphers, right? You know, everybody's dancing. Every it, it, To understand it best, you got to understand these expressions are participatory, inclusive things. So if I dance, everybody's dancing. If I go to church and I sing, it don't be like Dave gets to sing. You get a little bit for a minute, right? But, you know, after that fourth bar, we all singing, right? Every last one of us, you don't get to do this. We all get to sing yeah. to God. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're dancing, you seen it, go ahead and start dancing. You know, that's cool. All right, Gabe, that's good. You know what? We all starting to dance now. We all getting into that cypher. If you're on a cypher and you're emceeing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and you're like, okay, that's cool. That's cool. And somebody's going to be like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, I'm going to jump in, right? Mm -hmm. It's an inclusive thing. And the energy that you get from that creates a whole other vibration, right? We feel each other. We just don't hear each other. And it becomes mm -hmm. magical. And then we all lock in, and it's something else. This is no different than when a band locks in. It's mm -hmm. no different than when a choir locks in. Mm -hmm. I say, go to a black church and see it on a Sunday, mm -hmm. right? Somebody's singing, we're all clapping our feet, and then you will see the whole church sway, back and forth, right? That's hip hop mm -hmm. in many ways at its finest. Now, the reason why I say this is because people will take this and extract different parts of it, commodify it and remove it from its overall context. And so you're seeing certain things and you're going, this is a good rap. Yeah, but you also have to see the dance with it and the DJ that played the percussion, you know, breakdown to, to really get it. And, and so part of this is to give people that history so mm -hmm. that they can understand it. But it's also to, you know, this comes to the larger point to your question is that when you're in that space, then we look at each other and then we become family. That's why people say hip hop saved my life. That's why you go to different places and you're like with the hip hop folks because we see each other. So in that type of environment, then, yeah, we lock in, you know, it, it's like, well, let me call my people's. These are my peoples. These ain't these ain't some Asian folks. Right. These, these are my folks. Like, mm -hmm. yo, man, are you okay? You know, if you need help, I need help. Now, where we may fall short is when I take on Western values and constructs into this. And, you know, and I'm like seeing you as a commodity and not as a friend, a brother, or you know, and uh, of somebody that has that I have a much deeper relationship, and that goes on either side of that thing. Mm -hmm. If you're just jumping in and going, I like the dance, but I don't want to deal with the pain that caused the dance. You're no, you're just as exploitive as the commercial industry that was exploiting people that gave rise to hip hop in the first place. So we got to kind of be aware of what is the commercial manifestations 
that have infiltrated our day-to-day lives that we have adopted knowingly and unknowingly versus the organic and very healing and very empowering ethos that hip-hop really, you know, I don't think people had a word for it. They just kind of knew, like, this is something that I need in my life and I'm going to continue to do it. So to really be hip-hop, your pain is something that I want to help you get over, not something that I want to kind of use as, you know, a weapon or something I want to use as a form of entertainment. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say it uh, with the with the Asian attacks. This is a form of entertainment for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. This is a ratings booster for a lot of corporations. That's right. Because if they really cared about the harm that's being inflicted on Asians, Asian elders, or just elders in general. You're in Seattle, right? Mm -hmm. How many homeless Asians do you see out in the streets right now? Right? Do you see Mm -hmm. them? Because I see them right here in Oakland. Mm -hmm. And some of the same people that will have a press conference and go, we must stop the violence on these elders are the same people that didn't do policy to make sure that they're off the streets in the first place. Mm. You know, many of the people that are being attacked are poor and Mm -hmm. impoverished and probably have two pennies to their name. And they're, they, you know, for the most part, it looks like they're being attacked by other poor, impoverished people. And you're wondering, like, you know, why are people in these positions in the first place? So, you know, the news media, this is a ratings booster, yeah. because if they're really about transforming society, they would have been like, hey, let's go back and look at that city council person or that mayor that took away funds from these homeless folks, many of who are elders you know, quite a bit of them in certain cities, L.A., the Bay and Seattle, who are Asian. You know, that's, in in my opinion, even more violent than some of these attacks that they're showing day in and day out. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't want to put the mayors of our respective cities on blast for their lack of compassion when violence is showing up in political ways. Mm -hmm. So hip hop got to be bigger than that and it's got to be better than that. And I think many of the people from Jeff and the work he's doing too, I could shout out a whole bunch of people, you know, from Michelle Lee and Mush and, you know, Connie Wu, and we can go on and on. Um, you see, you know, even Mr. Fab and China Mac mm. are, have all stepped up in a hip hop ethos to try and, you know, reaffirm relationships and do better mm-hmm. than the people that are actually reporting on this and professing to care when they didn't care all these years until ratings were down and they needed a boost. Mm. Mm-hmm. Say that. Thank you so much, man. I feel like I could talk to both of y'all all day long, um, <laughs> but I know you both have busy lives uh, and as do I. Um, before we go, I know Jeff, both of y'all got multiple books inside you. I know Jeff, you've, you've published multiple books. I have to ask Davey, is there more on the way? Are we, are we going to see more more writing, more published work from you, brother? Um, have you ever written a book? No. <laughs> Dave, come on, man. <laughs> I've written stories. <laughs> I've written chapters. I've written stories. I know it's a lot of work, you know. <laughs> well, I will say this. Thank God that I did this with Jeff. <laughs> because, you know, he's an OG in this. He knew how to, you know, to thread the needle, you know. And, you know, I was allowed to live a little like, hey, man, you know what? I'm going to let you live. I'm going to edit this. You know, these 200 pages, don't worry. I only needed 10. I got you on that, right? Um, 
So I didn't have to go through that, but that was pretty hard. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, I ain't writing no more books. I I, I did. No, I did, no, no, that's I, the wrong answer. That's the wrong answer. I, I, did, I did my did duty. You did incredible this entire interview, and then you just went off the rails on this one question. Like, some of these answers that you give today are the best answers I've ever heard you give in any interview I've ever heard you in, Dave, but that was the wrong answer. Right there, that was the wrong answer. So I'll answer for him, Gabriel, and just say, yes, he's going to be doing more books because he has this, this, this guy right here is like the fountain of so much knowledge and his students over the years, which has been a long time because it didn't just start at SF State. He's been teaching people for a long time. Like mm -hmm. we need him. And we need his stuff. And if I if I need to come by the house every night to make sure that he's he's actually on the computer and, and writing and that kind of thing, I'm gonna do that. I'll take that on for the people because for the culture because we need it. <laughs> we really, really need it. So that's yeah. real. I'm just letting you know, Dave. <laughs> that, that's 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 Jeff the editor. <laughs> he edited your answer right no, there. No, 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 no. You know, Adam Adam Mann's back, who's a prolific writer. <laughs> jokes about he says there's a uh there's a support group that meets on thursday nights of people who've had to be edited by jeff oh <laughs> uh, yeah it's no no but no no but, but, but <laughs> no no i mean look yeah. when you're doing a project like that you have to trust the process yeah and you got to have trust in in you know i sat back and it's like hey look you know i trust that he knows what he's doing Right. Mm -hmm. And and that's something, you know, we talked about what does hip hop need to do? Like if we're in fellowship with each other, we got to trust that, trust, that, yeah. that mm -hmm. you know, you're going to bring your A game. I'm going to bring my A game and, you know, let you do what you do. You know, we trust that you're going to do this interview right. We trust that he's going to write this correctly. I, you trust that I'm going to give, you know, answers that that are rooted in something. Mm -hmm. um, and then that's what we do. Right. That's the basis. And I think. Um. Yeah, I'll probably write a book. Again, yeah, you definitely you know, write a book. You know. again. <laughs> <laughs> my follow my fo my follow up question to that was going to be where What do you think you'll focus on? But maybe it's too early for that. Well, where we're at right now, this will probably be one of the last times we could really visit that well of going back to the pioneering days, unless the actual pioneers do it themselves. And I think what you'll be interested in hearing is what those pioneers stories, like what is Melly Mel's stories, mm -hmm. right? What does he have to say? That will be interesting. But I think the, I think the focus will be moving forward is that you have the foundation that we provide here mm -hmm. and you go, what's the Seattle story? Mm -hmm. You know, what we did was, we know, we know Sir Mix a lot. We know blue scholars. We know, mm -hmm. you know, you know, a few yeah. other folks, yeah. but yeah. let's go deeper. Yeah. Like what was nasty Ness's story? Right. right. You know, what, what What was going on? So there will be a Seattle story. And within that Seattle story will be a Tacoma story. Exactly. Right? And that those stories are 40 years deep at mm -hmm. this point. Mm -hmm. And it's an Oakland story and an L.A. story. And mm -hmm. I think people are going to want to see that. And different marginalized groups will be like, what's the Filipino story? Yeah. You know, Oliver Wang, you know, told some of that. But there will be a deeper thing, a deeper dive. Right. Yeah. Because he caught the West Coast and not necessarily the East Coast or the Midwest. And, uh, you know, there will be women, there will be LGBT folks. There will be a lot of people that go, 
I have a story to tell too, but what we like to think is with both versions of the book is that you won't have to necessarily go back to that well and tell this story with all the details and all the social and political aspects of it. We don't want you to do it. Not that we're proprietary, but it's like, you don't have to set it up to tell the story. Let me let me tell you the Seattle story because we know about the South Bronx. We yeah. know about the social conditions. Let's jump into this. And so you can begin with the understanding that people have a basic knowledge of this culture and you don't have to spend 200 pages explaining it, which is, you know, the next level of the baton. We already yeah. did that work. Yeah, I love it. I love it, man. Thank you. Thank you both for your time your storytelling for this book i appreciate you both so much uh any any closing thoughts before before we sign off no nah, man we really appreciate you i mean you know this you you've known us and we've known you and you know this has been a, a an incredible and a powerful uh interview and um just so much appreciation for what you're doing holding it down um you know up there in seattle for everybody i, 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 I want to say something to the seattle community Mm-hmm. Russell Wilson, I hear they're not treating you right. And, you know, on behalf of the Bay Area, you know. This is where you can edit, actually, right here. <laughs> on, on behalf of the Bay Area, I just want to invite you um, <laughs> to come to the other town. Right? <laughs> I mean, if they're not treating you right, you know, Seattle's our sister city. You know, we got a home-cooked meal for you and... Uh, <laughs> You won't have, you know, the weather is a little bit, you know, doesn't rain as much. Come on down to the town, you know. Town. You know, come on down. You and Sierra and uh, we'll treat you right. I mean, you know, that, that, that would be uh, the thing that I want to just pass along to, <laughs> to, to the, the town. good folks of Seattle. You know, come to the other town. From one town to the other. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Pre- appreciate you both so much, man. Thank you for making time. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That was KEXP's Gabriel Chiodro speaking with Davy D. Cook and Jeff Chang, authors of a new edition of the book that was first released in 2005 called Can't Stop, Won't Stop. And that was Sound and Vision. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps let other people know that this podcast exists in this very oversaturated podcast world out there. So do your part and subscribe rate and review this podcast you can also go the extra mile to help financially support the show by giving a one-time 20 dollars donation at kexp.org sound thanks for listening